Hello, people. This is Peter Hurley, and you are listening to the Angry Millennial Podcast here on the Angry Millennial Podcast. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Borrow Lenses. Bring your vision to life with the gear you want when you need it. Don't deplete your resources by investing in gear you may only need once in a while. Instead, grow your business by using high-end gear before you can afford to own it. I know for me, for many years starting out, this is how I got the shots I needed with the glass I couldn't afford at the time. And plus, it's great for trying before you buy. With thousands of rental lenses, cameras, lighting, and all the tools to trade for hobbyists and pros alike. Get to use specialty gear such as underwater cameras or telephoto lenses for that once-in-a-lifetime adventure without a huge investment. You can choose the gear you want, tell them when you want it and for how long, and they'll ship the gear directly to you. You can book far in advance and secure all the gear you'll need. Visit BorrowLenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Today, we have photographer and mixture app creator, Merrick Davis. Merrick, how you doing? Doing well. What's Thanks up, for man? having me. Hey, glad to be on the show. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've... I've actually dabbled with the uh, with the app. Uh, haven't been shooting my phone much lately, but it, it definitely was something that when I when I checked it out, I, I like the whole layers aspect. Just like you're in Photoshop and playing around, it was pretty neat. Awesome, glad you've uh, yeah. It's pretty cool. I've used it a few times too. That's great. Good. Then uh, we will. I'll be on the same wavelength when we're talking today. I, <laughs> I did an interview with uh, a reporter who had never used the app before, so it was a little bit, a little I bit f- difficult to try I f- to. I feel like, I mean, to me, anyone who's worth their salt, <laughs> if you're going to interview someone, do some research before you fucking talk to them. You know, you would think. <laughs> yeah, you would think. <laughs> I know. I know. It's kind of sad. Um, so, so we'll just get right into it. So, tell us a bit about your beginnings. I mean, were you always creative? Um, did, did photography kind of come first for you or how did it go? <laughs> no, I was not always creative. Uh, so <laughs> we'll go back. Um, I grew up in a, in a family that was extremely creative, uh, and really, really talented. Like my brothers are exceptional singers, artists. Uh, my sister is a pianist, a singer, all that stuff. So wow. I, uh, Never wanted to be compared to them. Uh, I'm the youngest sibling. Oh, nice. Me too. All right. So you can relate to this oh, story. Oh, man. <laughs> two two so, youngins and a middle child. Yeah. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> so I always, I, I didn't like competing with my brothers. Uh, I had a, 
an art teacher my sophomore year who taught my brother uh, in that art class. And he told me that I would never be good enough for AP art. And he wished that I was more like my brother. Wow. And so (laughs) I realized I needed to, and even before that, I realized I needed to kind of pave my own path and figure things out. So they all played guitar. I played drums young. They did art, drawing, sketching, things like that. And I went and ended up doing jewelry uh, and found my way doing stuff like that. And I never really even paid attention to photography right. uh, until I was about 23 or 24. And my band, we were going on tour at that time. And I really wanted to document what <laughs> we were doing and have those memories and, and take photos of the other bands and things like that. Cause there was a lot of really cool experiences. We were seeing a lot of the States and I grabbed my mom's uh, digital camera because at, at that time, this will date me a little bit. We had <laughs> flip phones and sidekicks. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. We're shooting at 640 resolution, one megapixel, two megapixels. Yeah. And I think my mom's digital camera was five megapixels. Uh, but I grabbed it and started taking pictures and really fell in love with it. Uh, and the bands I was taking pictures of was getting that really cool, uh, just documented photojournalistic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it really blossomed. And that paved the way really for the, the direction that my photography and my art went, which was band photography. And that's really where I got my start. But photography was never on my radar up until eight years ago or so. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, wow. you, you actually that's, share that's a so very familiar. similar path. <laughs> yeah, you share a similar uh, similar path to uh, Stevie in that sense. He was also in a band and many times nice. said he wishes he had a camera to document that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's, that, that's one of the things. I didn't have a camera most of the time. Um, I wish I did, but I mean, like, like you, I think it really influenced and paved the way to how I shoot and, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of approach and view that I go towards when, when shooting multiple subjects. So it was it was nice, and we were super poor as a band. So I became our like our photographer would set the timer and then go run and stand in front of the camera, and that's how we would just do all of our our band shots. <laughs> and I I'll be honest, I <laughs> I never understood that. I mean, I get like bands would be broke, but it was so funny. I had a I was part of a collective years ago that one of the guys was a, a band photographer and he, I mean, he struggled, you know, he, he'd drive, um, you know, like three hours for a hundred hour photo shoot. And I'm going, dude, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, bands are broke. And I'm like, I don't care. There's usually four or five dudes in a band. Like they each can pitch in like, you know, whatever kind of money. I was like, cause there was times where I was shooting glamour. Yes, was yeah. They pitched single. in 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I was getting like a single mom's paying 300 bucks for like a photo shoot, you know? And I was like, why can't five dudes do that? As being someone in the band scene, I had somewhat of an understanding, but man, when like I'd show up for a shoot, do the shoot, and then they'd be like, oh, can we pay you like 50 bucks now on the rest later? <laughs> and I just feel like, sure, but I'm not going to start your work. But I, I was a little bit more forgiving of that because I remember being right. the poor, <laughs> broke musician that just wanted a pretty photo. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, it's yeah. nice. You came from a really like you what said, kind, really what kind of band family. was it anyway? Oh, uh, we were we were screamo. Yeah, we uh, 
We loved uh, bands like Finch, Thursday. Uh, oh, man. All different stuff like that. But we were a lot All I know here. is Bring Me the Horizon. Okay, very similar. <laughs> that's that's a, a little newer. What yeah. what was the yeah. name of your band? Out of curiosity, band name was O Doctor, and the punctuation is important. O comma Doctor with an exclamation point. Like like Attack Attack, they have exclamation point, right? Yes, yes. Okay, they, we we yeah, pioneered we... the way of punctuation in our <laughs> band names. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, that's so it's the first guy. Like even the band, it's very familiar stuff. I would. Same same kind of music, same kind of scene we were in. So that that's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. You guys what was the name of your band? Yeah, we actually. Yeah, right. We played with Finch on the drive-through stage a few times. Actually, super oh. cool dudes. But yeah, I guess that dates myself now too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I but, think uh, we're around the same age. Yeah, I'm like 23 now, but <laughs> <laughs> 35. I'm 32. I'm 32. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, good. I don't okay. feel so bad now. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, Merrick, being based out of Arizona, uh, have you ever kind of seen that influence your your style of work once you got into photography? <laughs> yes, but probably not uh, in the way that you think. It's okay. like the the anti inspiration. <laughs> Arizona is not really beautiful. Where we have like four colors. <laughs> to our whole palette. It's just desert cactus. Uh, our, our skies are awesome mm-hmm. when a storm rolls through, but that's in the, in the autumn. So I really needed to build beauty in a sense. And that's where my composite background came from because no, there's only so many photos you can do of bands standing in the desert, right. with a really pretty sunset behind you. So yes, it influenced my work by having to force me to think outside of just the desert and have to build my own background plates. Um, and our downtown, we're, we're a pretty young state. So our downtown has a couple skyscrapers, but they're not beautiful architecture. They're 1920s, 1930s, which has its own beauty, but it's not, uh, we're not blessed like photographers in New York city that can walk down one street, have these amazing backdrops, turn a walk down another street and have a completely new set of backdrops. Right. Yeah. So it forced me to have to th- to change that that mindset, but it not I don't want to say it influenced me in a bad way uh, because it, it definitely caused me to to think differently. Yeah, I think like you said, any anytime you're you're from somewhere or some market, you you just look at it differently than other people. You know, yeah. Uh, I know when I went out there for the second time, but but the first time as an adult. Uh, was with my girlfriend last last um, actually around now so last uh, spring winter kind of thing and mm-hmm. I, we thought it was beautiful I mean we were driving everywhere we went uh, all over and and I I could to me it was like driving even just driving around there oh, oh seemed a lot more beautiful than it is like on the northeast where you're just driving on like the turnpike and <clears throat> and you're seeing very drab. <laughs> parts of uh, of new jersey and 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 delaware and maryland and all that kind of stuff and, but i see now we were in boston in october and i thought it was the most beautiful place in the world well okay so you're right the <laughs> north okay so we'll, we'll say i'll say the northeast and new england in the fall is cool because you have the leaves changing and all that kind of stuff you, you sound like such a city guy <laughs> <laughs> 
it is so subjective. Like like to us, where you're to you where you're from is boring. To us, it's beautiful. It's just so. I think that speaks to being a creative in general. It's like you always need something new to really kind of blow your mind in a way. You know, absolutely. And and we're spoiled here too. And and I I can't knock on on our location and, and where I live too much because we have. Uh, the sand dunes that are a couple hour drive from where we live. Then we have the forest that's an hour and a half drive. Mm. And we have all these amazing lakes too. And so it's tough because I think I want to say it's ugly here, but we're also spoiled yeah. in terms of having so many resources nearby. Yeah. You're just a dick, but it's ugly. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't so this, born yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, you're the you're the second photographer turned app creator we've had on the show. Um, Chase Jarvis was the first with his, uh, as we all know, revolutionary photo sharing camera app. Uh, you know, best camera. Yeah. Um, and I, when he was on, you know, we spoke about the transition he had to make. You know, realizing he was a, a hyphenate, and but it was it was tough for him because when when he started it. He was getting a lot of people coming to him saying they want to throw VC money at him and be like, listen, let's make this into, well, hello, it was the original Instagram and, and kind of grow it into something else. But he, at the time was like, no, I'm not a, I'm not an app developer. I'm, I'm just a photographer. And was like, you know, I just wanted to make a cool app that did something that I was, couldn't find elsewhere. Yeah. And and it, yeah, I mean, I asked him very candidly, you know, I was like, do you think that was kind of like you shot yourself in the foot a little bit there? And he's like, well, you know what? I, I have plenty of instances like that where I, I left money on the table and and I and I feel like maybe I, I didn't do that. But if I had done that, I probably wouldn't have been able to do like Creative Live, you know, yeah. um, because he'd still be running that yet huge thing, you know. Um, so you know, what was, what was it like for you? I mean, you, you had a very similar path. You went from photographer to recently running Mextras full time. Um, so what, what was that kind of like that transition for you? Uh, it was a tough transition, to be honest. There's that, that fear. I mean, and Chase is, is an anomaly. Everything he touches is extremely successful. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, I wish I, was able to do things like that easily. Uh, I think the, the my biggest fear was that the saying um, being uh, a jack of all trades, but a master of none, mm -hmm. and the that fear of okay, if I, I pivot and I'm going to go do this, I'm going to have to not hone my craft. That time that I spent working on that, I'm going to have to now focus on this app, and that's a very scary transition. Uh, and jump to make. Uh, I, and I think it, even in the photography world, when you change your styles, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a very scary thing to go to. And uh, like Chase said, where do you think you've, you left money on the table? Do you think that if you would have kept doing this, you would have had a great success at it? And it's, it's tough. Um, it's tough in any regard to to ask those questions in retrospective and even living in it now. Uh, there's been opportunities for us to grow certain ways or grow a different way. And, and you have to think back on that and go, did I make the right choice? And uh, Have you had a lot of those offers where you know, people want to bring you in and you just kind of like work on yeah, that in-house? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when the app first launched, 
we had a, a couple of companies contact us and show interest in wanting to, to bring us into it. And it's that being in a band, you can relate. It's the selling out aspect. <laughs> I'm not going to sell out. We're grassroots. Right. That's, we've got our start with the people and we're going to stay with the people. And I think, I think we've made the right choice. I, I don't like to think back on that and go, Oh, did we, did we make a mistake right. by not right. joining forces with them? Uh, yeah. But we did have that. We were, I'd say fortunate enough to even have that opportunity to, to present our case to these companies. I think that it was a really cool opportunity. I met a lot of really great uh, contacts as a result outside of the photography industry, which was great. But yeah, there's, there's those nights where you're laying wide awake at two in the morning, stressed out going, Oh, what if I would have, yeah. how different, <laughs> how different would this be now? Oh, believe me. I mean, I, I have them now where, where, you know, I, I sit here and say like, I've been putting my photography on the back burner for this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's kind of back backwards. Let's be real. Where I say, okay, I, there's something that I know if I put the effort in, I could make money off of, and I've done it for years. Uh, but conversely, I'm going to go after this thing that the the let's just say the the path to monetization is not as direct. You know, yeah. it's not as 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 fluid as most people would think. Um, so it's yeah, a lot of that. But at the same time, like you said, it it was something that um, you know I I I read where you were saying like I didn't you didn't want to have that what if regret, you know so. Yeah you had that talk with your family and your loved ones and said, listen, I want to, I want to really pursue this. Uh, and, and one thing I actually want to talk about too is you actually also kind of had some, some really hard failures before you came up with, with mixtures. I mean, before Let's that, skip over that. Let's just skip. <laughs> <laughs> where, where like a lot of people do, who who are who are proficient at Photoshop? Uh, you gave it. You gave your hand at um, presets and stuff, mm-hmm. and and really didn't. You, you couldn't really get a lot of traction going on there. So what was that kind of like? Where where real quick? I mean, you went from from a tried and true method that some people actually live off of, surprisingly not uh, or yes. enough, um, to saying okay, this seemed easier and it didn't work. And then you essentially went a very hard route uh, that most people don't do um, because of the amount of work that has to go into it, and and you hit a home run. So what what was that kind of like when you, when you were you know you were down and then kind of realizing okay I want to take another swing but I want to take a really fucking big swing at something a lot bigger. <laughs> There's a lot of little mercies in that process, uh, but yeah, it it was a failure. Um, I, I did try to make a somewhat of a living. I think the natural progression of my mindset and, and I'm sure a lot of other photographers, which is I'm using all these resources that other people have created. I've, I've bought them. I've paid a couple hundred dollars uh, for an action or some textures or different things like that. I'm going to take a swing at making my own. It doesn't seem too hard and you do it and they look good. And the natural occurrence is, well, maybe I can, make some money off of this hard work I put into this. Uh, I was so quick to buy somebody else's stuff. Maybe that'll work. So yeah, I did that. I, my band photography, I used a lot of different overlays, some grain grunge, the concrete textures, different things like that. And I, I did sell them and they did okay. 
but not enough to anywhere stop what I was doing full time and right. go full steam into being Merrick Davis textures creator. <laughs> and it has a good ring to it, but it just <laughs> wasn't what I needed to go do. Uh, but I created a, a texture pack that I hadn't really seen marketed, which was this kind of film grain at the time, film grain and, and dust and scratches and things like that of, of more of like the film scan style. So I created that pack and put it out there and I had a pretty decent email list of a couple thousand people and I sold a handful of them over a couple of weeks. It just, it did not resonate. It did not connect with a single person Mm -hmm. in the professional category that I was trying to market to. And And, when was mm -hmm. this like year wise, like Instagram was around at this point, I guess, or no? Instagram was around, but it was I think it was in its infancy at that so time. It was still, 2000, yeah. 2011. So it was still shitty pictures of food, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it was the the eight filters and Instagram were the bee's knees. That was it. And there was there wasn't really a lot of strong uh, editing apps like uh, Visco didn't even exist at that time in, in mm-hmm. what it is today. Yeah. Uh, I think Snapseed was the was the powerhouse at that time if yeah, i remember the heavy hitter mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh there's some other apps that i'm i'm not that are i'm, I'm forgetting about uh let's see pick fx i think was another one mm-hmm. uh, but they were all pretty uh simple in regards to not like a, a ton of processes right. and um at that time that film grain look obviously I found out wasn't popular with professional photographers. I think it was the mindset of we're shooting these beautiful, sharp, crisp images. Mm -hmm. Why would I ruin it with these spots and grains and dust marks when I can just run a beautiful tone over it? And and yeah, shame on me for thinking that that would connect. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was whining about it one night to a couple different photographers that I had met through Instagram on Skype and was telling them about it. And one, one of the artists was a, a beautiful uh, painter and he would do digital paintings and then throw textures over the top of it. And another one is a, an amazing fine art photographer, uh, Evan James Atwood and was telling them that experience. And I said, Hey, will you guys just mess around with these textures? Uh, Sam, you can throw these on your your pictures, your paintings and things like this. And Evan, let me know what you think. And so they messed around with it. Like, oh, these are awesome. And I had that little light bulb that went off that went, maybe I'm marketing this to the wrong people, the, the wrong creatives. Maybe I need to be focusing yeah. more on the artists. Right, yeah. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to release this on Instagram to my followers. I had a, a couple hundred followers at the time and – it's like, but I want to see what they think. So I did a little square crop and, and reduced the resolution. Uh, I think it's like 1024 by 1024, something really small. Mm-hmm. And put them out there on Instagram. And it was more an experiment than anything. And nobody had marketed at that time on Instagram that way, where it was, hey, here's a free resource click on the link in my description to go download it. Mm -hmm. And that was 
an experiment of its own. I think there was multiple experiments. Hey, I wonder if these textures are going to connect with people. And hey, is marketing on Instagram this way going to be a viable option to connect with people? And I released them at night, woke up uh, the next day and and throughout that day, saw like a couple downloads trickle in. And like at that night, it was 24 downloads. I was like, well, it's been more successful than the paid packs to photographers. Yeah. So yeah. that's great. And I was I was really excited about that. Uh, with that just 24 downloads, I, I considered it a success mm-hmm. uh, in terms of marketing to those people. And then it just kind of spun out of control in a good way. It went viral. And I think the next day it had about 8,000 downloads. The day wow. after that, 10,000 downloads. And I don't, <laughs> I wish I knew what bigger name Instagrammer posted about it. Or right. you, still don't know, to, you still don't know to this day? I don't know. Wow. And I would love to <laughs> buy them an amazing dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, got a steak and seafood dinner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like kind of like a common photographer's mindset. Like you got a great product, you got a great image or whatever, but you're just not sure of the marketing and where you should be targeting that. It's like it's. It sounds like something I hear all the time. And as soon as you found a a good demo and you, you let it out to the right people, it started to flow from there. Yeah. And it completely, I think one, the, uh, life lesson I learned from this in a sense is to always be testing your market, uh, which was what I did. I could have easily just been like, well, that's a failure back to going and doing what I do and let's do this. But, uh, I think it's important to, keep testing even when something fails and uh, yeah. as hard as, as hard as that is to do because it's so easy to not want to go to the next thing because you're like oh man that burned that sucked i don't want to feel that way again i want to go back to doing what i what's comfort yeah and uh, thankfully like i i didn't do that and it eventually yeah it, so it, it spiraled uh out of control. And I released two more packs after that. The next pack was all these light leaks and grungy things that I had created. And mm-hmm. I think it was maybe six months later after that, it was up to about 180,000 downloads. Wow. And, wow. <laughs> and it had started taking up a lot of my time at nights because there was the mixtures hashtag that was created. And so I was going through every night and freaking out, commenting on every single photo that people were posting just because it was <laughs> so amazing to me. I'm like, well, these people are actually using something uh, mm-hmm. that I created in such a mass quantity. And uh, bless my wife, I was just on my phone every night, just sitting, liking photos, commenting. And that took over my time. And I wasn't making anything off of it either. It was just this labor of love, these free packs and uh, really, if for anything, I was building an email list so that when I came up with the next yeah. pay pack, that was the mindset. Okay, the next pay pack I do, I'm going to have all these people that I can now have a, a marketing campaign to go to. Right. But it, it pivoted more and more towards the process of people saying, I love your textures. I hate adding them to my photos because it's such a long process. Mm-hmm. It was getting it and uh, running it through multiple apps. Oh, Image Blender. That was another big one where it was where you could add a photo on top of it and layer it and then change the blending mode. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
and that's basically the app that I used to market and say, right. yeah, like, oh, here's your, here's these free textures. Now go use image blender and set it to screen mode. And did you ever event after like through that, did you ever get in touch with the people at image blender and do like, kind of like, <laughs> you know, some sort of thing or was it just, no, that would have been too easy. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I know the the guy who created an Image Blender. He now works for uh, a good friend of mine, Aaron Marshall, who's at Over, the app Over. He now works with them. Uh, but no, I I should have contacted him and partnered with him, but I didn't, and that would have been a much easier process <laughs> than what I am now. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. I mean, like the adult, uh, age old saying, it, it's hard to find good help, and you know, and I and I I started hearing a lot about your your long search for a capable developer uh, yes. to help you with mixtures early on. T- tell me a bit about that. That was terrible. And <laughs> to anybody who wants to create an app, my only advice is find a great designer and find a better developer. And good luck. Because right. <laughs> it's tough. I, I went through 17 or 18 developers uh, talking with them. And here in Arizona, we're not Silicon Valley. And right, so yeah. the local talent here was very sparse. And I even like found students from ASU who mm-hmm. were in uh, develop, like, learning how to develop. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we can take this on. And oh, no, I don't want to do that. And go to another developer. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be about 150000 do this and I'm just like you got to be kidding me this is this is ridiculous <laughs> and so I realized like I, I was at that point I was done and I'm like well it's it's back to going to my original idea of just selling these packs online and so one night on Twitter I just put it out there and said if anybody knows any developers for iPhone apps please let me know and uh, somebody I followed posted about a developer in uh, California and Encinitas uh, Wes Billman, he's like, oh, here, here, talk to my buddy. And so I talked to him and said, hey, you want to build this app? And he's like, yeah, I got a full-time job, so I'll have to do it on nights and weekends. And I was like, oh, perfect, me too. I have a full-time job. Let's just work on this at night. So we connected and then for three months, we just worked every night. I, I was impressed with the work that he did. And, and after the awfulness of trying to find a developer, it was so amazing to find one who uh, I guess understood his role. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I understood my role. I'm not a developer. So I would present him with something and he would present back all of the problems with that. Right, right. And he wouldn't question a certain aspect of, hey, when somebody does this in the app, it needs to do this action. He understood, okay, that's how a photographer thinks. Right. At the same time, he would mm-hmm. present back, okay, here's the problems you have. And I'd go, okay, well, I'm... That's how a developer thinks. So we worked really well together. We didn't try to step on each other's feet. And I think it was more of a collaboration. Absolutely. And uh, a good lesson in humility too. Yeah. uh, For myself, because I think um, anybody who's tried to take on creating an app or even creating anything, you have the coup de grace. You have the hundred percent. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be the best thing ever. And then you have reality that kicks you in the pants and says, no, you're only going to be able to do about 50% of this. Mm-hmm. And that for Wes, for me, he was the kick in the pants that was just like, you can't 
do all of this stuff? And who even knows if people are going to want this certain feature? So yeah, it was great to have collaboration rather than just somebody who pushed a button. Right, right. For and, and made yeah, this thing. Uh, but it was really powerful. But yeah, it's it's tough to find a good developer. Maybe it's easier now. That was almost three years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was something like I, I was even thinking uh, coming up soon, we're going to have Gary Swart on the podcast. And he used to be the he was the CEO of Odesk, um, okay. which was like a huge online, um, basically like a freelancer community where you could find work. And and I, I was wondering, I was like, oh, I wonder if like you ever tried those resources. Um, but even then, a couple of years ago, I mean, like the most people you'd find on there were probably like writers and and other stuff where it wasn't quite as much tech. I mean, then again, maybe it was. I honestly can admit that I didn't use it that much. I put my profile on a couple of those those places and that was it. I didn't really ever scour in terms of hiring people. Um, but it would be interesting to hear if you if you did have used that kind of stuff or if it was like Craigslist mixed with your social media following, um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it was social media following. Uh, it was reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, you you made an app. Uh, do you have a recommendation for a company? And I'd reach out to that company. They'd either say, here, yeah, here, here's a quote, or no, we can't do it. Here's another reference. Right. Uh, I never used any of those like uh, Elance or Odesk or anything like that. Um, I was a bit nervous because right. at that time, three, four years ago, it was primarily there weren't a lot of, of U.S. coders. And I was worried about... Um, Things getting lost in translation, right? Yeah, um, I, things were lost in translation with me and my developer six hours away, and we're both speaking the same language. But man, there were so many times that we did not communicate correctly, and I, I think, and and with how intensive Mexers is too, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure it, it would be very easy to be using Google Translate. To try and get no, not such at all. a cost. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not to knock the talent that's over there. I I've heard great experiences that people have had from those services. Right. Yeah. I was sure. I was just working. Yeah. So uh I I gotta switch gears a little bit. Your Instagram feed yeah. is honestly I, I was I I'd seen it before and then I started looking back through it the last couple of days. And it's honestly like Tim Burton, Dali, and Bob Ross all took LSD together, painted <laughs> And then edited with Mextras. It's pretty fucking wild. It's cool. Um, Thank you. That's so like, the best compliment I've ever got. <laughs> so where do you pull like the ideas and inspiration from for your edits? I mean, some of them are like really cool. They look like really cool landscapes or some of them might, obviously a lot of them might be more composite work. But I saw one that was, um, it was, it screamed Nightmare Before Christmas with a spider. And that one oh. looked ridiculous. And I just yeah. wanted to ask, yeah. Man, my inspiration. Uh, so I I really love over-the-top movies uh, uh, that are just visual, like uh, Inception, Pan's Labyrinth, even yeah. like the, the 300 movies, things like that, yeah. where you're watching it yeah. and you're just going, this is so ridiculous, but it's awesome. And <laughs> I always wanted to create my work to have that same type of reaction where it's just like, what the hell were they thinking? Like when he was creating this, what was America doing or anything like that? And there was a, a photographer named Eric Johansson. And he is. Oh, uh, yeah. His work's incredible. 
Yeah, he's the king of surreal. He's like, he's the modern day surrealist, I think. Oh wow! Uh, with his digital yeah. art, and yeah, he's in, he's incredible. And it when looking at his work, I, I would try to deconstruct to say, how did he think of that, and how can I apply that type of mindset to my to my thinking? And a lot of it is a lot of the work you see is version 15 of an idea Mm -hmm. stuff you see on Instagram. There's, there's 14 other versions that were terrible concepts. So the, um, the picture with the spider, it's the, the kid swinging a sword down on the spider, like jumping off the cliff. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't a spider. I think it was a bear at one point. Um, and then I think I put a dinosaur in there (laughs) (laughs) and I eventually used a dinosaur in a, either an earlier or a later picture. I can't remember I had a thing for dinosaurs for a while there. <laughs> but a lot of the times my imagination isn't as creative with the the idea at first. And so it takes a lot of coming back to the idea. Right, a lot of iterations and stuff like that. Absolutely. And and also thinking, okay, what would make this over the top? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'd have a, a beautiful landscape and then I'd go, oh, you know, it would make this amazing as a huge storm in the distance rolling in and that would give it that thematic feel that would make it look like a movie. Nice. That's pretty that, cool. That's really what I like. That's my, the larger than life, uh, visualization is really what I try to capture. Right. Right. So um, I meant to ask you, do you view that platform like Instagram as like a separate body of work? Um, since it's so much different from your normal, like uh, photo portfolio. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's nice to have a, a, an outlet where you can go nuts. Right. And it doesn't show up in your professional portfolio. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I don't want a creative director to come to my website and be like, uh, wow, this looks like Bob Ross dropped LSD <laughs> unless that's what I was going for. But I think it's, I think it's okay to have an alter ego, you know, where no, for sure. you have your, your professional work and then you have another place where you can just go and try new things. Um, and I envy, I really envy photographers who have such a honed portfolio where they can nail that look every time. And creative directors love that. Right. Yeah. I, the creative directors that I want to go for are the ones that can, look at my work and say, okay, this guy likes to go crazy with his work. That's the one I want. But I wouldn't necessarily put a lot of my work that's on my Instagram portfolio into my professional portfolio. And it's nice to have an experimentation place where you can get feedback too. Uh, and Instagram, like it's, it's great because you have an almost instant feedback to your work where you, and, it, and it's experimental. So you can, I can post my travel pictures. I can post crazy edits of landscapes or surreal stuff. And I can get a, a instant feedback from people where they go, oh, this is awesome. And I go, okay, I'm on the right track. Now I can maybe start pushing that style into my professional work. Right. And, th- and that's interesting take because, I mean, I, I know Stevie and I can attest, and I'm sure you can now, that nowadays it, for a lot of photographers, it's the exact opposite a lot of them look at their Instagram as just an extension of their like site and their branding so mm-hmm. that it's some people it's like, it's like a, it's like a, a separate and just as complete website, you know, where you could, you can get uh, a yeah. feel for their work. So you're doing the exact opposite. So it's kind of refreshing. 
it's just yeah. so many views to it. I mean, like Merrick said, like it's a really great place for experimentation, but it still kind of says who you are. I think that's what's most important um, to me anyway. Like even if it's so different than your normal work, it still kind of it still comes from the same brain. It still comes from you know the a similar view. So there is a transition, even if like you said, it's kind of like your alter ego, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I battle my self with social media all the time i i won't even start i i hate <laughs> have i i hate so much having to deal with it yeah. but it's a part of it but you know i was gonna say seeing your work and your composite stuff are you familiar with uh renee robbins work oh yeah I yeah say, I, I think you two would get along if you don't if you haven't met her or not yeah i i adore her i i met her through a mutual friend a few years back and we've only texted and, and talked via social media. And um, I love to shoot with her, but I haven't had the opportunity yet. So, Renee, if you're listening, <clears throat> let's, let's do some shoots. But <laughs> but her work, it's it's top shelf, man. It's yeah. her her tones and her compositing is absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah she's we, she's a our, great. No, go ahead, sorry. Uh, she's a great visual storyteller. Uh, that's something I envy because I don't know if I'm necessarily a great storyteller with, uh, people like she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you said, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's most people think, Oh, if you can paint, you can photograph, or if you can photograph, you can paint. But a lot of times as similar as they are, they are different. Um, so a lot of times, like you said, it, it has that, that kind of a nuance to it that, uh, that sometimes is hard to really get, um, so we're going to kind of go a little deep here. Um, so kind of tell us what was the biggest risk you've taken with your business? Hmm. Biggest risk. I, th- I think jumping and changing my career path right at the moment that my photography was, I think at its best, mm-hmm. I had paying clients. I had a stable income with that. I had a game plan. I had representation from wonderful machine and having to look at all that and go, what do I do? Do I give up mixtures or do I give up my photography? And that was a scary fork in the road because both of them at that moment, I was like, both of these are successful. And that was tough because I realized I couldn't do both of them Right. with, with the 100% invested into them that I could. And the photography was something I had worked on for years. The app was something I had, it was over the period of a year that I got to where I was. So to to have to sit there and look at one path that I know I could be good at or another path that I had no idea what to do, uh, that was that was a very scary risk. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's I mean, tough. yeah. And like you said, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, I've, I've done it. I don't know whether it was necessarily, uh, a better choice or maybe I got burnt out. Um, but there's been times where, you know, like the last job I held, uh, when I took that, I obviously had to, had to slow down the photography a bit in the beginning to show mm-hmm. that I was invested in and really learn the job. And then 
you know, uh, in like year two and three, I started shooting more and traveling more because I, I worked remotely so I could. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, the only thing I think that from my photography that, that kind of gave me a little confidence to walk away from it every now and again was to know that it's one of those things that you can do for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like with what you had going, uh, I think you made the right choice because you already saw how sometimes you have a great idea, but the timing isn't right. And the market you're, you're, you're marketing to the, you know, the audience you're marketing to isn't right. And, and you had those struggles and frustrations. So when you felt like you hit a bit, you know, you kind of started hitting your stride. Yeah. Why not? Cause again, the photography is always going to be there. You know, the technology is going to change, but the, the crux of it, the, the, the ethos is always there. It's never really, that hasn't really changed. So it's like, you can say, okay, I can always go back to it and rework those contacts. It might take a little while again, but it'll be there. Whereas who knows where phone apps are going to be in the next five years. True. You know? Very, so, very true. So where were you? Just where were to- you a few years ago to be there in my ear to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes down to just something you really, really believe in and like deciding what you really want to put your efforts into. You know, like if you went back to photography and you believe that you really wanted to do that, I, I think you would make it. It would be more, you know, trials and failures. Like you had to go through to get to where you are now. But I feel like this is something maybe you just believed in a little bit more and really thought you could run with it. And obviously it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I think I believed more in the community that was yeah. behind Mextures than I believed in myself because it, like, it was incredible to see yeah. what people were creating. It made it a lot easier than one creative director saying, this is good or this is crap to yeah. <laughs> a whole community of people saying, this is good. It made it easier to go, you know what? I, there's these people who love what I'm doing. Let's go with that. Right. Well, Rather yeah, than... Like proof of concept, really, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. But it was risky. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I mean, so so name, like, what's your biggest fear creatively? My biggest fear. So this... Might not resonate so much with photographers as it does with just in general, but uh, as as an app creator, when we when we do an update or we create something new, it goes out to millions of people. So every time we submit that update or we push that live, whether it's a small change or something that's huge, um, if it doesn't connect, there is a ton of people that are going to be angry at you. Oh, yeah. Whereas going back to it as a photographer, something doesn't connect to you. You submit something. There's a, a, a team of people who go, uh, can we change this? Can we change this smile? Can we change this head on this person? As opposed to something that goes back. But, and bless their hearts, uh, app reviewers are very happy to let you know what they think of your app. <laughs> You're like one step above YouTube commenters. <laughs> it, can, it can be that way. It's yeah. man, it's either they're they're gushing about the app or they you are the worst human to ever exist. Yeah. yeah. How 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 dare you hurt them in this way? And I I understand it. I I get it. When Adobe does something that you go, that was a bonehead thing that they did, you get mad at it and right. you speak out against it. And they change it. So I, while I do appreciate that, 
that is the biggest fear I have every time we submit that I, it, I get anxiety. I get heartburn for a couple of days while it's in the process. <laughs> we double questioning everything. It's terrifying. So and, one thing I never knew, uh, hmm. so let's just say you roll something out and it's dog shit, right? And you, you, you say, yeah. Oh my God, that was horrible. Could you ever like roll back and then push that back to prod? Or is it that, um, you would just kind of tweak it a little bit and then push out a new update where it's essentially just the old version. Yeah. So we've, we had uh, some problems before. Uh, one time we pushed the app with the wrong icon mm. and we had an icon for our beta users and one for our live users. And the beta one was this just goofy. We, I just inverted the app uh, oh, nice. colors. So it was just <laughs> this ugly icon and I went live and I went, Oh no. And Thankfully, we're able to just go and, and make the tweak and change it back. But then uh, it's one of those things like once it's out there and you take it away, there's a handful of people that are like, that icon was so ugly. Thanks for changing it back. And other people go, why did you change it? Like, <laughs> I love that. I loved the changed icon. Right. And, <laughs> and thankfully, Apple has it in such a way that like, if you make a mistake, you can go back in your code and, and tweak things. But a lot of the times like, We've never had a problem so big that we've released something and it's broken the app. Right. Um, that would be devastating. And if that happened, though, you still have to go through the process of making the quick change, submitting it to Apple, uh, asking them to rush the approval process or the review process and then push it out. But uh, the review process can be a five to seven days sometimes. Mm, yeah. A lot of angry people voicing their opinion and reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Got to wipe those clean. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me, what would you say is your most meaningful moment in your career thus far? I would say it. it's not necessarily uh, photography related, but it, it's more with the app uh, about maybe it was about a year ago. Uh, I got an email from a guy who told me that they suffered from crippling depression and anxiety and, and all these awful things. And he said that editing photos on his phone has been helping him get through those uh, depressed moments and being able to have all these tools at an instant where he can refocus on that. And he thanked uh, us at Mexture specifically for how he's been able to use the app and how it's opened it up and, boosted his confidence and different things like that. And he's been able to connect with other people through Instagram, uh, through the Mextras hashtag and the way we can, you can share formulas, share your presets with other people. He's been able to connect with other people. And, and, uh, that, that was just a really neat experience to, to see. I mean, it's cool seeing people create something with, with your app, with something you've created. Um, but to, to have somebody where it's to a point that it's improved their life, you, you don't think that an app could do that. And right. yeah. it's silly to, to release an app and be like, I'm going to change the world with this. <laughs> but just to have with that one guy um, in a roundabout way, something we created, do that, uh, that, was, that was easily the most meaningful. That's awesome. I mean, you said it. It's, uh, it's that one guy you know, made up for, you know, two years of people just shitting and trolling on, on, on yeah. certain aspects, you know? So it's, that's pretty awesome. It's true. It's, it's, uh, 
it's easy to get uh, down on yourself uh, with photography posting places and people go, that is crap. Like I spent hours on this. What? Yeah. On, man. And same with like reviews, like this is the worst app. Why would people do this to their photo? <laughs> like, I don't know, but they like to like, come on, <laughs> just let people do it. Yeah. But then to have, have this guy be like, like you are improving my life in a way. Like, and it's, to me, I go like, I, I don't have anything to do with it. It's him discovering an outlet uh, to to change his focus from depression and things like that into a, a positive experience, which is just to be a part of that, it, it makes it worth it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So conversely, what would you say is the biggest regret in your career? Uh, laziness. <laughs> I, I'd say turning down jobs with like photography jobs just because I didn't want to do it just because like eh, I'd, rather <laughs> I'd rather play video games this weekend uh, I think that that mentality hurt me a lot uh, in regards to when you get to a point where you're comfortable enough to be lazy it's not good uh, <laughs> going back to when I got my first camera and I was hustling like I was doing shoots for 20 bucks for 40 bucks and I was doing six shoots sometimes a day just because I had that drive. Um, and I was doing shoots that were awful. I was taking pictures of things that I didn't want to. And that builds a lot of character. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm later on in my career and, and even now I feel like I've missed out on those opportunities to build that character, to do something that's not fun and to do things that make us cringe and or edits that push us out of our our boundaries and and I'm guilty of that and I I think that's a, a bad thing and and I also think that it's easy as creatives where if if we're lucky enough to work from home that our personal relationships can can suffer and thankfully like my wife has been so patient and understanding throughout my career mm-hmm. but there's always that in the back of your head where you're just like, I'm never going to get that time back because I was sitting at my desk going, ah, just, I, I got to do just one more edit. I got to edit one more photo. I got to just push out one more estimate to a client instead of just, just waiting. And although like, I know she doesn't regret it because, and, and I shouldn't regret it. I, you know, it's just like, I'm never going to get those moments, some of those moments back. And I have a, a kid coming in April Oh wow! Congrats. Thank you. We're we're really excited, and and that's something that I have in my mind where I'm just like I don't want to miss those moments because I'm too focused on something that can wait. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, we're going to go even deeper. You mentioned Inception. <laughs> wow. We're going. Yeah, we're going. We're going second dream deep. Uh, All right, Jack Candy. <laughs> so I think this one for you is going to be interesting, only because of what you mentioned being a big catalyst for you was the community aspect of what you had built. But mm-hmm. if you couldn't share your work with anyone, not your wife, not, not your, your legion of, of fans, uh, would you still create things? This is a tough one because my mindset for years has been push myself out there. You know, like we're brands we're like as photographers, we are our brand and that's personal, that's professional, and that's how I've grown 
for like the past 10 years, you know, is right. basically whoring myself out there to people. So if I couldn't share my work with anyone, would I still create? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's important to make something, be proud of it, and then just shelf it. Mm-hmm. And and not present it to other people. And there's there's art that and photos that my wife hasn't seen. Um, but I don't know if I could do that. Like if if there was like a, a specific cutoff. Because uh, going back to Instagram, it's great to have an instant feedback from a group of uh, a, a cumulative people to either say, "Oh, that's awesome," because it validates what we put into it. And it connects our art to people and it connects us with them. So you get that beautiful interaction of having somebody look at something that you do and say, I appreciate that. And then you go, I appreciate you. And I think that that would be, that would be really, really hard to give that interaction up. I know there's other ways to give and receive appreciation, but I don't know. I don't think I could. Yeah. Okay, cool. No. And and it's funny. Like we asked that question and most people, uh, it's honestly, Stevie, would you say it's kind of split down the middle? I, th- I think so. I mean, yeah, thinking back, I, th- I think it's, pr- it's 50, 50, 60, 40. It, it's yeah. like right, right on that line. Yeah. Cause and, some people look at it like, oh, well as an artist, I'm always making things that I don't share. So I could see that easily. I would still want to create stuff. And then some mm-hmm. people go, I der- like you do. I derive so much from the interaction of showing it to others that to do it for myself and no one else seems pretty selfish. Uh, I think that's I, a key point yeah. that the, uh, I mean, it's, we're visual, it's a communication tool, you know, fundamentally. So when you, I, whenever you ask, I always think about it every time we do this, but myself, I don't think I would either. I mean, you're trying to communicate something. You, I mean, a lot of times you don't know what that something is, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I could say the complete opposite thing tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's tricky to even think about and contemplate, really. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, for like personally, to go to go even deeper, uh, <laughs> I'm very introverted in terms of I am I am a wallflower at gatherings at, at events. I tend to not do well speaking to people face to face, and yeah. to have. Instagram where you can still put yourself out there and you still have that safety net. Um, it, it's helped me get over that being so introverted. And so that's where it's tough for me because I, I would miss that interaction because I don't necessarily get that in a real life standpoint. And that, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a a nerd in that regards that I'm very introverted. And that's why photography has been difficult for me because and I liked the challenge because I loved the editing process. I struggled with shooting because I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody one-on-one or a group of them. It, it was very difficult for me. And so it helped me get over that. But my, my happiness was editing and then presenting it to somebody and getting their reaction. So yeah, I'm going to go on the selfish side and say, yeah, I, I wouldn't create if I couldn't share with people. I, I need to create to share. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. All right, Merrick. Well, listen, we've been we've been chatting with you uh, for about an hour now, and it's it's been great getting to know uh, you a bit more. Because um, I know a lot of friends who 
we're we're good friends with you and 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 um I'd always known you through other circles and stuff like that. So it's been great to kind of chat with you and hear a little bit about your your beginnings and what you went through with Mextures, which has been a huge a huge hit uh with photographers all around. So where can uh, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Uh so Obviously, you can find me on my website. It's MerrickDavis.com, uh, M-E-R-E-K, Davis. Uh, and then Instagram and Snapchat is basically where I live, and both of those are uh, Merrick Davis, all one word. Um, I'm not really on Facebook that much anymore. Um, and Twitter, I, I'm on there, and that's where I like to communicate one-on-one, but mostly where I post stuff is Instagram and Snapchat. Okay. Yeah, we've been. I, I I must admit, I'm pretty late to the Snapchat game, and I never felt my age more so than when I <laughs> when I open that app up and I literally sit there and go, I have no fucking clue how to even use this. Like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, and I I hang in a MySpace most of the time, but I can't find a new one anymore. <laughs> Snapchat's awesome. It it's a relief to have a. a an outlet where you can just post whatever you want. Like I, I don't feel weird posting a picture of what I'm eating. Right. Cause it, it's a more, <laughs> it's a more personal aspect and there's not the stress that's associated with other uh, social networks. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen like the, I guess I, I guess I'll call it the, le- if you swipe left when you open it, yes. there's like those, I guess, I don't even know what that is. Like there's people who I guess posted stuff and you can watch it. But it's to you. I honestly, I, I literally look at it sometimes and I go, it you, says, "You'd basically just describe the entire app." Yeah, that's it. yeah. It's, that's like, it. it's like, oh, and then you can, you, can you, you can swipe to respond. And yeah. I go, but they didn't say anything to me. And then I swipe right and I see all the stories. And then I watch that and I go, "Yeah, I have no fucking clue how to use this." That's basically how I still use the app. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, listen, Merrick. Uh, last but not least. Uh, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? I would love to hear from Christian J. Sweet. Uh, he, his artwork, like massive inspiration to me back in the Instagram days, like three years ago with all the crazy artwork. Uh, but he, uh, he's a great storyteller. He's the one that told me when I was posting pictures, he's like, you need to put a person, you need to put an individual in your photos. You need to have a story be told instead of just a really pretty landscape. Just drop a person in there and then nice. a story will be told. And he's nice. a great storyteller, director. Um, and you said it was can, Christian J. Sweet? Yeah. I can, can I drop his uh, website? Yeah, sure. So it's Art of CJS. So it's initials. Um, yeah, he's, he's borderline crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, like I, I would. So it'll, love it'll be like it'll be like hanging out with Hunter S. Thompson kind of thing. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but he's he, like he's brilliant too. But man, the, some of the stuff that he comes up with, you're just like, man, are, everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> I awesome. would love to hear more behind his psyche. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. And where, where is he, you know what he's based out of? Oh. um Somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, uh, around Seattle, maybe, or around Portland. Oh, okay, Wanna, cool. All right. You know, right, that explains cool. a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of rainy weather reflect on your uh, innermost feelings. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, listen, Merrick, um, just want to, you know, again, reiterate, thank you for taking the time out and talking to us. Yeah, and, man, it's been cool. Yeah, had, had a great time getting to know you a bit better. So, uh, again, Merrick, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank awesome. you, guys. We'll all see right. you. Take care. So, guys, if you're curious about using borrow lenses, you'll be happy to know all of their gear is tested, calibrated, reset, and cleaned after every order. They accept major credit card and most debit cards, and the majority of orders they process do not require a deposit. They love it when their gear gets to travel worldwide, but you have to promise to share some photos when you get back. Remember to visit borrowlenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount.